promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. This week especially, the traditional media and the traditional partisan politicians on both sides have been working overtime to try to inflame your passions and confuse your thinking. And all that well-televised fire, fury, and bedevilment just extends and intensifies the hyperpartisanship in both Washington and Sacramento that gets in the way of solving any of the vexing problems facing our nation. Like Congress getting together and passing a small piece of rational immigration legislation that would protect our sovereignty. You know, Good politics start with recognizing reality, and that would be a way to do that would be to just get over the DACA situation and create however long a path you want to make it to citizenship. But they've been here most of their lives. They're in our workforce. They're in our colleges. They think of them. They're in our military. They are Americans. Let's just get over it. It's a little down payment. But at the same time, we want to avoid being in this situation again in a decade. And that means it is time to protect our borders. And I want you to hold that thought about borders because In about 45 minutes, I'm going to tell you something you probably do not know about our borders. But we also need, in this little piece of legislation that the House must pass this week, we've got to create some procedures that separate economic migration from refugee status. And that includes actually dealing with the diversity lottery. It's not a big problem. It's not hard. It can be done. Such a bill would be a small down payment on a comprehensive immigration reform plan that the United States Congress has struggled with since the middle 1980s, since the Reagan administration, since Simpson Mazzoli created an amnesty and forgot to enforce the sticks that came with those carrots. That was in 1986. And 40 years later, we still haven't got comprehensive immigration reform, and the problem is now five times larger. And because, from a business background, I know that we do the difficult Before we do the impossible, in other words, we find a small piece of something that people who are on opposite sides of an issue can agree on, so we develop some muscle memory toward building consensus. 
we've got to do a little bill before we do a big bill. And oh, by the way, if you want to protect at least five of those seven congressional seats in California that the Democrats so much want to flip, if you want to protect Jeff Denham's seat, if you'd like to see Diane Markey, who's a really smart woman in the United States Congress, helping to build consensus, then you have to get this bill passed because to fail to do that will bring a tidal wave into of, of angry, angry native-born Hispanics out to vote who didn't vote in June. And you know why they didn't vote? They didn't vote because they were saying a pox on both your houses. So, Speaker Ryan, it's time to get this done. It's not a big piece of legislation, but it has so much to recommend it that we need to move on and get it done. And I offer this little soliloquy as an example, because as always, my purpose in this hour is to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on your judgment. And that's especially important this week, as you will see as we try to separate fact And some of those facts are an ugly reality from an even uglier set of fake news elements that were uh, used and abused this week. And I'm embarrassed for some of the major networks. Just a lack of knowledge that leads people to say things that are absolutely untrue and highly inflammatory. So we've got a lot of numbers. I mean, you know me, I'm a numbers girl. So let's start with a number that I hadn't anticipated because I saw it last night on the news. And that is a new poll by The Economist and YouGov. And in, you know, all truth, um, I belong to YouGov. Uh, It turns out that about, that when asked the question, should we detain or not detain illegal entrance into the country, detain wins, despite what you've seen on television this week, despite the horrible way in which this policy was implemented, the majority of people who were polled, 46% said, yes, we should detain them. 36% said, no, we should not detain them. And 16% weren't sure. It depends. And I would probably say um, I was surprised by those numbers after a week, uh, an absolute deluge of negative um, and, and horrible images on television. The other thing I saw last night was Jackie Spears at the border at the detention center in McAllen, Texas, saying, saying, oh, These conditions that these people are detained in are just horrible. Well, Ms. Spears, have you ever been in a jail in California? You know, I have um, had the opportunity to do a couple of ride-alongs with the Santa Clara 
County Sheriff's Office and the San Jose Police Department. So I visited the main jail, and it may look like a skyscraper outside. It doesn't look a whole lot less um, uh, frightening and imposing and incarcerating on the inside. So let's talk in the last minute of this segment about some of those numbers. We are seeing, again, an upswing. 50,000 migrants a month trying to cross the southern border into the United States. Now, remember, that's only 53% of a monthly total. The other 47% come through our airports from all over the world. And even at the southern border, they're not all from Latin America. Uh, I've seen representatives from the Congo and Cameroon and other African countries represented at at what are called the ports of entry, attracted by the relative ease of entry once you make a claim of asylum into the U.S. You don't have to bother to go get a pesky visa at a U.S. consulate in your country of origin. You just show up on the Mexican border. It's cheaper and more convenient, and you'll at least get into the U.S. for a small, for a period of time. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about what 600,000 migrants a year means. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org reimagineamerica.org Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. And I've got more immigration numbers for you. And then we'll really dig into a couple of these issues. You know, there are 2,300, or there were on Wednesday, 2,300 traumatized children who had been ripped away from their parents under a new Uh, Let's punish them uh, some more um, uh, zero tolerance policy by the Trump administration. And there's so many things wrong with that. Number one, I've heard all the psychologists who say, well, this is going to be a lifetime trauma for these children that they were separated. Um, And we've seen some pretty horrible pictures Um, And then a lot of complaints about, well, we can't see, we don't see pictures. We can't get into these facilities. Well, you can't get into those facilities because children cannot be used as television props. There are laws against that in this country, and they even apply to members of Congress. Although um, there should be uh, some visits by people like Secretary Azar, the HHS secretary, Health and Human Services, who's responsible for these kids. Okay, so now we've returned 500, and there are 1,800 more. And some of those parents have already been deported. And that's an incredibly difficult and impossible situation. And it, it shouldn't have happened, um, and people are right to be outraged about it. So that's one number that we won't probably have to talk about. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit. There is another number that you really will probably be astounded by. There are 4.1 million Central American migrants worldwide. 4.1 million. 3.4 million of them are in the United States. And 1.2 million arrived in the last 10 years. And surprise, I was surprised. I thought 
I didn't know this. I was I had no idea. The greatest concentration, according to the Migration Policy Institute, the largest number of these new migrants are in California. There are over 800,000 Central American migrants in California, 564,000 in greater Los Angeles, 110,000 here in the Bay Area, and 73,000 in the Inland Empire east of Los Angeles. And the next largest concentrations are in New York, New Jersey, and Florida. That's So there is a reason that they transferred some of these children that were taken away from their parents. And, and again, none of us are, are condoning that uh, action or that decision or that behavior. But the fact is they sent these kids to places where there was a likelihood of finding uh, sponsors that they could release them to. So, so much for the southern border. Let's talk about some other immigration issues. And here's one I want you to really think about. $500,000 will buy you legally, completely legally, by the book, within the INS system, $500,000 will buy you a green card. Talk about skipping the line. One year. One year is now the length um, that some foreign graduate student visas are being created for, uh, and that's causing congressional consternation. But I want you to hold that thought. And I want you to think about 100 miles from any land or sea border. We'll come back to that. So let's talk for just a minute about Latin American migration. It started in the 1980s. It started during a period of Cuban-inspired revolution. And if you're as old as I am, you'll remember uh, revolutions in El Salvador and Nicaragua and uh, you know, narcotics uh, gangs and, and um, the kidnapping and and for ransom of um, American business people in Colombia, et cetera. So that's where this started, in Cuban-inspired leftist revolutions. And it's increased year over year since 1990 at a rate of about 25% a year. And it is driven by a number of factors that are common in way too much of the world today. Poverty, political instability, revolutionary and criminal gang cartel, if you want to call it that, violence, and chain migration. The current estimate is that there are 1.8 million, almost 1.9 million, undocumented Central Americans in the United States today. And that legal migration in that population is generally, with the exception of some Panamanians and uh, Nicaraguans who are um, medical personnel, has generally been chain migration within extended family units. And again, again, I'm going to say 
categorically that I'm as horrified as any other citizen of the free world watching children being separated from their mothers who have entered the United States illegally for the purpose of proving a political point. I'm a mother, and I'm a grandmother, and I'm a human being. Um, I'm a doggy mom, too. Try and take my puppy dog away from me, and you see, you'll see a tiger. Um, and... And I just, I mean, it's, it's wrong. It's just wrong on any, on any basis to separate three, four, five-year-old, 10-year-old children from their parents as a, quote, Jeff Sessions, quote, deterrent, unquote. And I'm Joyce Cordy, and you're listening to the Reimagine America Radio Hour, where we're going to spend this hour talking about how broken our immigration system is. And, you know, some things, if you think outside the box, we could do that would fix it or start to fix it or at least make it better administered. So let's not follow, let's not forget for a moment that the policy of rapid turnaround, rapid deportation of illegal entrants is not new. The Obama administration did it. Did it with style and aplomb and efficiency. They deported more than 2 million illegal um, entrants into the United States. Um, In fact, uh, in the Latin community, Obama was known as the deporter-in-chief. But they didn't but they didn't separate families, even if it meant catch and release. They didn't separate families. And that does not mean that I believe in catch and release. So I don't know whether it was Stephen Miller, Kirsten Nielsen, John Kelly, Jeff Sessions, the president himself, or some other cabinet level combination of the whole. But whatever it was they did, and, they, and they've spent about a year coming up with this idea, <laughs> they took the Obama administration policy and they doubled down on it. Arrest and charge the parents, jail them and take their children because children can't go to jail. For a businessman who built an empire on his brand... A television brand at that. This was the dumbest thing ever. It was completely incompetent. Incompetent, I said. It failed to anticipate. Despite the pictures of caravans heading north through Mexico with the stated intention of challenging U.S. immigration, U.S. immigration was not ready. The administration completely failed to marshal the resources from across the federal government that would be needed to get these migrants at a lawful point of entry and to process the apprehended illegal entrants as they do every day without all of this kerfuffle. It is incompetent to, set, to create a set of optics that are this bad. You have to really try to create optics that are, for your argument, just this awful. So I don't 
expect detention facilities to be as comfy as the White House or Trump Tower. Heck, even as comfortable as a congressional office with its closet cotton shower. But what idiot thought they could hide chain-link fence pens and mylar blankets from the prying eyes of immigration advocates or their partners in the press? And we'll be back in just a minute. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. And you're right, I'm incensed. I'm incensed by the sheer incompetence. You know, I get the idea of deterrence. Apparently, the American people, if you believe the Economist survey, and I generally believe the Economist knows how to do a survey, want deterrence. But there's a difference between deterrence and behaving like the banana republic from which these people have fled. You know, so when you start showing people sitting on benches, hidden, you know, separated by chain link fences within a room, you know, the question becomes, who are you deterring? Who are you offending? Um, And what is this? Is this the Angola prison in the 1930s back down in Jim Crow, Louisiana? I mean, this was not smart plan this was not planned this was a executive order a phone call a whatever uh that said just go do this forget all the planning you've done just go do this without putting a process in place and from a business point of view that's a prescription for disaster that's how companies go out of business is by making a push a big splash, and not being able to follow through on it. So we should thank Melania Trump for dragging Health and Human Secretary Azar down to the border on Thursday, okay? Although the weather prevented her from going to the actual McKellen uh, Detention Center as she had originally planned, it did set in motion a process at HHS on Friday morning at the secretary's level to get these 1,800 children back to their parents. And what makes me so crazy, just before we open the phone lines, what makes me so crazy is that we took something that was an error of optics and we made it worse by the pure and simple bureaucratic bungling in which people said, well, we're not really sure where those kids are right now when asked about specific children. How can that be in the 21st century of barcoded everything? It's a simple record-keeping system. Code for America or an organization like that could have created it in no time flat. Okay, we detained a family unit. Mom, dad, two children. We put the parents in a jail facility A. The children are in protective custody in facility B. Regular contact from incarceration to deportation, the whole family unit at one time, everything 
it's it, in the computerized age this is this level of incompetence is just unacceptable i mean we have been banding children and their parents to match them up in a hospital for half a century guys for half a century and we couldn't adapt this type of system to making sure that we tracked these parents and children and that we did not create a situation we did not create a situation in which we were told that uh, two-year-old children, like the little girl who is now on the cover of Time magazine, was separated for, from her mother, um, who is, in fact, seeking asylum and actually entered at a port of entry. And the fact that she was patted down doesn't offend me. I can't tell you. I'm TSA pre, and I can't tell you how many times, despite that, I've been patted it's just, it, it's done, they claim, for our safety. Okay. And then the, the issue of making people run the port of entry process. You know, you have to run for the border every morning to try to be one of those people who gets in the number that INS can process that day. Reminds me of a story in my mother's autobiography when she had to go and get a German passport to have her U.S. visa stamped in it. Uh, and my little four foot ten inch mom had to run this gauntlet of Nazi Nazi soldiers not once but three or four times. I think the United States of America can do better than that. You just tell the migrant, okay, we've reached our limit for the day. But here, we're going to make you an appointment for when you can come to the border and make your application. And then that person can go back into Mexico and go to relatives or go to a, a shelter um, or go someplace away from the border until it's their turn to come and get in line. At the same moment, you can make it clear what the criteria for asylum are. So an applicant who has little chance and is later going to be deported, and that's 80% um, of the um, asylum seekers get temporary status, but only 20% of that 80%, 20% of the 80%, so about 16% of the total, actually get asylum. And if you don't get asylum, then you get deported and then you can't reapply for a very long period of time. So while ankle bracelets will increase compliance, what might be better is to make clear to people that if they can't prove their claims, they're going to be deported, um, and you know, and if their criteria are weak, that that it might be better for them to immediately voluntarily deport. We'll send them home at our expense safely to avoid having a record of prior attempted entry. And if the chief reason offered is fear of your husband, he will kill me, then let me give you another statistic. 61% of women of Hispanic origin who are murdered in the United States, according to the Centers for Disease Control, are killed by a spouse or significant other, and that is 7% higher than the national average. So why not offer some kind of limited protective status short of refugee status? 
if there's an American sponsor available, which unfortunately would take us back to chain migration. But we've got to find some kind of happy medium at this moment of crisis that we've created. But I think former Homeland Security Jeb Johnson is right. He's got the best solution. The solution to a problem of mass migration in Central America and Mexico is to change the circumstances on the ground in those countries of origins. Now, we have some obligation to the 40 million people who live in Central America. We should help them to stamp out the the gangs because drugs, we're we're the mecca for those drugs. MS-13 was bred and born and nurtured in Los Angeles. They took advantage of political instability for growth and profit. And you know who else is involved in Central America and in South America? Try Hezbollah and Iran. Fixing the problem on the ground is a matter of American national security. And if we've got $25 billion to spend on border security, I'd suggest fixing the problem on the ground would be a hell of a lot cheaper in the long run. Helping these people to have a real economy would be a lot cheaper in the long long run and a lot better for us as a nation who is tolerant and is compassionate. It would be a lot better for us if we could fix that problem on the ground. And we'll be back in just about a minute with some other immigration numbers. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. And just one more thought. Um on the inhumanity or on the whole mess on the border, and then we're going to change the subject. We've heard some comparisons by both members of the press and Democratic politicians to our detention policy on the border, and, and it's been compared to the Japanese internment in World War II. And let's just call a lie exactly what it is, a lie, a big, fat, incomparable lie. It is, to quote the president, fake news. There is no comparison between the level of inhumanity and injustice done to the Japanese-American community during the opening months of World War II and the conditioned situation and and consequence for Central American migrants. The Japanese were like you and me. They were birthright, born here, generations established Americans. Their homes and property were confiscated by the United States government. They were interned for years in situations that compare to concentration camps. While their sons went off and fought for America in the war. And when it was over and they were released, they were not allowed to reclaim their homes and businesses 
and they were never adequately compensated for the indignity or their financial losses. So reporters, you should be ashamed. If you're an established journalist who works for a network like, let's say, NBC News, Tom Brokaw, Brian Williams, Chris Matthews, I'm talking to you. It is your job, your business, to tell your younger colleagues to knock off the comparisons to Japanese Americans because they're not valid and they're not constructive. But to the larger cadre of young reporters, did you ever take a class in United States history in your college years? This is fake news of the worst kind. It's not just deliberately misleading. It's ignorant. And so let's talk about buying yourself a green card. Because we're going to run out of time before I run out of material. Friday afternoon, I was reading a couple of guest editorials, both by conservatives, in the New York Times. Brett Stevens is arguing that the U.S. has a lot of open space, and and um, Ross uh, Duat was arguing about assimilation issues. And in the middle of both of those editorials was this gigantic colored advertisement selling legal U.S. immigration for a mere $500,000 investment. It was an ad by a real estate conglomerate, CMB Regional Centers, that promises a green card for you, your spouse, and any children under 21 for this this insignificant investment in a condo. It's completely legal under current U.S. regulations. It's called an EB-5 visa, and the Kushner's, Jared's family, got caught peddling it in China last year. So the New York Times was just a little bit more subtle. So if you want to change unfair practices in our immigration system, that one is right number one on my list. And let's talk for another second about fake outrage in the fake news. This time from our friends at the Washington Post, who have a story about U.S. immigration changing student visas for Chinese graduate students in the U.S., to be there right now, they're, they're a five-year visa. They want to change it now to a one-year um, authorization that is renewable five times. And the Washington Post quoted several Congress members who said this was racist. Racist, they said, because it's aimed at Chinese students, graduate students. It turns out that if you read the whole article, the decision is based on counterintelligence operations by all of the major U.S. intelligence agencies. Although it was Christopher Wray who testified in March about hundreds of millions of dollars of intellectual property theft by Chinese nationals in the United States. Even the person who wrote the article acknowledged that they had been involved in identifying a case of um, graduate students committing espionage on behalf of the Chinese government. Okay. We also know the Chinese haven't made a secret of it. It is their intent to surpass the U.S. in advanced technology and 
in artificial intelligence, genetic splicing, and avionics by 2025. So we have lots of these cases of espionage in both in industry and academia that are reported, proved, or suspected and can't be charged for various reasons. Um, and Christopher Ray points to a whole-of-society approach to Chinese intel- intelligence gathering in the United States, which is the consensus of our several counterintelligence uh, organizations. So WAPO says this is potentially racist. But it, the story gets even better. In the last paragraph in the story, claiming racism and quoting several Democratic Congress members from California led by Ted Lieu, to whom I sent a tweet this morning at Joyce Cordy on Twitter um, about truth and authenticity, um, the change to one-year renewable student visas for Chinese nationals, it turns out that we've we've never the, the that current graduate students are in the last year of their five year eligibility under a under um, on their existing F one visas. Well, they're the only class of Chinese migrant of Chinese graduate students who ever got that status because until twenty fourteen, from the time that I was managing. Um, um, the Office of Research Services at the University of California at Berkeley, um, and we won't talk about when that was, um, until 2014, Chinese student visas were one year, renewable five times. But it's racist to go back to this policy when the FBI says close to a billion dollars last year was stolen um, in intellectual property theft. And it's the last paragraph of the story. It should be the second paragraph of the story. We've spent a fair amount of time. Um, We've got about five minutes left. Uh, We'll we'll see if anybody has a counter-argument to what I've offered. Um, And again, if you go to reimagineamerica.org, you're going to find a um, blog on the, the homepage that details exactly how I think we could go about changing the conditions on the ground in Central America, where we could create some safe zones, where we could have a more rational approach so that people who really need refugee status would get it. But the pictures on the border are inflammatory and are um, difficult, Um, and I'm sympathetic with people who are either, you know, if you're an economic migrant, we got to find a way to create um, a system that allows people to travel freely. It's it it should be a part of NAFTA. Um, People shouldn't have to trek through the desert when somebody when as a, another story I read this week a couple from Florida who had left who were illegal and had been in the U.S. for a decade and went back to Mexico and their employer their U.S. employer said well if you can get back across the border your job is here and the story of what they went through 
isn't 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 American. So we do need a guest worker program, but I'm not asking Congress to do that this week. I'm just asking Congress to do something that keeps families we detain together. And we'll be back in just a moment with some closing thoughts. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back, and we have just about five more minutes, so we're short of time, but Vince has an issue he wants to address. Yes, uh, Joyce, I'd like to challenge you on something. Um, So if this uh, immigration crisis is such a big deal and it's such a humanitarian crisis, why isn't the U.N. involved? Why not have the U.N. intervene and set up a refugee camp on the border and regulate all this like they do what like they're supposed to do. Why can't they come in and, uh, and take over? Well, um, you would need all of these governments to get together. And remember, we just left the uh, U.N. Human Rights C- Council this week. That's pretty convenient, don't you think? I thought it was really convenient. But if you go to reimagineamerica.org and read my uh, uh blog for the week about the 25 billion we could better spend i i'm in agreement with you i i believe we need to pacify and you know we're doing a lot of pacification in syria in iran and afghanistan and with a stronger diplomatic effort we don't have any ambassadors in central america today mike pompeo has that on his to-do list we could use our own special forces uh, who are bilingual. Um, some of them are DACAs. Um, we could use them to work alongside the DEA uh, to help to pacify this and to help to create some better civil society um, and some safe zones for people in these countries. And it would cost a lot, lot, lot less than a wall. Um, and it, it's along the lines of what you're suggesting. Um, I would think the U.N. would be great, but I'm worried about the U.N. being there when the Iranians and Hezbollah are already there. And does that make sense? Wait, what are what are the Iranians and Hezbollah doing in, on the Mexican border? Uh, they're in Central America coming north from South America where they have been heavily involved in the cocaine trade in um, Colombia and Bolivia and so forth for oh, many so years. We should, we should have troops on the border already then. Um, yes, but we have certain laws about what the United States military can do on our border and not. So that's part of the problem. Got it. Um, but you're on the right track. But I wouldn't trust the UN with this. I wouldn't either. But uh, our, isn't our go- government uh, partially funding the UN? I mean, what is their money going to if they're not going <laughs> to? What are we paying for? We we got we got two minutes left uh, on this show, Vince. Uh, I'm going to take that note as an idea we should explore on a later program. I think that's a fabulous idea. We should talk about what are we paying for. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you. Good uh, good question. So I've got one closing thought for you 
about Diane Feinstein's bill to limit the ability of ICE, her, her idea of, of how to fix this temporary problem is to limit the ability of ICE to enforce immigration law within 100 miles of the border. And that kind of puzzled me about why you would want ICE to not be able to help these people in the desert, right? Uh, where, where people die on a regular basis trying to uh, av- avoid ICE. And so what I found out is that under existing law, ICE can ask you for your papers anywhere up in the United States up to 100 miles of the border. But current law considers the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, the Gulf of Mexico and the Gulf of California to be borders. So now it makes sense. If you're in in San Francisco, San Jose or Los Angeles, (laughs) those are not sanctuaries from ICE's ability to ask for your papers under existing U.S. immigration law. And so we'll be back next week. In the meantime, if you want more information, go to reimagineamerica.org. You can read about solutions to the immigration uh, to to Latin America and also um, to the question of is California a state or barely the bear flag republic it's a complex issue and we'll be back I know what interests me but what interests you email at Joyce at reimagineamerica.org and we will be back next Sunday and in the meantime have a wonderful week this has been reimagine America with Joyce Cordy Go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. Together, we can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.